Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. I am joined this afternoon by Wilkie V. Law III. Will, how are you? I'm doing awesome. Celebrating this third day back at school at my new campus and loving it right now. Awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, glad to hear that. It is the beginning of August, and we are so thrilled as we get set to go back to school to have James Lias on the podcast. James, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing excellent. Doing well. Um, you know, I'm up here in, in Wisconsin, and Will's in Houston. Now, you're in Texas, right? Yes, I'm in Austin. I'm actually in my classroom right now trying to set everything up for our return back to school. Awesome. And when does school start back up for you? Uh, teachers, we go back next week, and the students start on the 20th. Perfect, perfect. Will, isn't that when your students start, is the 20th as well? Yeah, our students start the 20th, but we went back on Monday. All teachers reported back Monday. So, yeah. we get two weeks, two and a half weeks on campus of TV and connecting with, um, with the other teachers, building that teamwork. So... Yeah. Pretty awesome. Well, Will, why don't you... You're in Austin? I'm sorry? You said you're in Austin, James? Yes, I, I live in Austin, Texas. Okay, what district do you teach in? For Austin, I see. For Austin, I see. Oh, okay. That's, Austin is like my second home. That's the reason I had, um, I have a couple of friends who work for Austin, I see, and one up in Boogerville. Okay. Mm. Nice. Nice. So, Will, why don't you go ahead and just give them a rundown of kind of how the podcast got started and, and what the mission of it is. Okay, well, initially we kind of started doing this just having a conversation between Kyle and myself um, just about things that were going on that we observed with other teachers, we observed in education in general. And once we started talking, having the conversation ourselves, we said, hey, Kyle had the idea to start a podcast. And we started it. And once we got to having a conversation, we knew it was incomplete without getting other teachers' voices so that we can kind of expand and amplify their voices. Uh, just so that what's being put out is not just what you're seeing on the media. It's actually, you know, hearing from teachers who are actually on the front lines of education and doing a lot of great things. So we kind of wanted to start the podcast to kind of focus in on presenting and amplifying teachers' voices so that other teachers can glean from their knowledge and, you know, maybe prevent themselves from making some of the same mistakes or help give themselves a chance hints on how they can overcome different obstacles they face within their studio. Okay. So. Yeah. That sounds nice. That is our So, since we have you here, and uh, one of the questions we like to ask everybody is, can you tell us the story of how and why you became a teacher? Um, so teaching runs in my family. My mom's side, my grandfather, my mom's dad was a teacher. My mother's a teacher. And originally, um, while I would support her while I was a student in high school, um, and had ideas of maybe becoming a teacher later on in life, my original plan was to be a dentist. Um, however, early on, like in my teens, I developed arthritis in my hands. And so as I was going to the University of Texas and obtaining my degree there, I started thinking, well, would it be a great idea to have you know, arthritis in my hands shaking while I have these tools in people's mouths? And so um, through the University of Texas, they offered this teaching program called you Teach, which allows uh, students to get their teaching degree while at the same time completing courses to you know, take their test here in Texas and be certified. And when I would just study with people, they would always say, oh, well, you should be a teacher. You explain things really well. And so I decided to uh, switch paths and go into teaching. And that's how I became a teacher. Um, but it's still, you know, something that I enjoy because I've always had a passion for just helping people. And so that's originally why I wanted to go into dentistry is because I wanted to help people with, like, their oral, oral health. And um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go into that. I made the change. But teaching, I feel, at the end of the day, has been a true calling for it for me. It's my passion. Um, I feel it's a craft, and I've stuck with it ever since. Awesome. Yeah. I like to use that word craft, because that's one of the words that we, 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 we talk about and we, that we say that teaching is a craft. And 
you know, we think about the master craftsman versus the carpenter is one of the things that we've always kind of used as an analogy is that carpenters build just like master craftsmen, but craftsmen just pay attention to those little details, those little nuances that, that enhances what you're doing. And so that's awesome. So in your eyes, what is the value of a great teacher? Uh, I think a teacher has, you know, the ability to potentially um, positively and sometimes unfortunately negatively impact the life of a student for their lifetime. And so I think it's just always important for individuals who decide to go into teaching to be cognizant of that and to reflect on how they approach working with children the interactions with them, and you know, always at the end of the day, thinking about and reflecting about, like, am I doing what's right for the students? Am I paying attention to the whole child? And am I reflecting, um, you know, equitable e equitable practices in my classroom? Um, and just treating individuals the way that I would want to be treated, and also the way that they would be treated as well. So I think. As I said, mentioned earlier, it's just always important to keep that in the back of your mind because, again, you have the potential to impact a student positively or negatively just depending on your interactions with them each and every day. Yeah, I mean, I 100% I agree with that. And, and I can think back both to the moments where I was positively and negatively impacted by a teacher myself in my education. And I can think back to the moments where I had a positive and negative impact on my kids and and you don't ever want to have those negative impacts on kids but like I really like what you said I, I think it's definitely you're having an impact one way or the other and it's really your choice as a teacher whether it's negative or positive we can't I, I don't subscribe to that idea that that teachers don't have an impact you either have a positive one or, or, or a negative one it's kind of a binary choice to own up to it and I think the students appreciate that um, you know they might not see it right then and there but later on I've had students sometimes I've made mistakes and I will immediately apologize to the students whether it's right there in class or the next day you know if class is ended and students have come back and they've told me that they appreciated the honesty or just me being able to admit my mistakes that just showed me as a human and that they were able to make mistakes um, and own up to that later on in life you know, it's funny, I'm going I'm to share this. Um, I, we had a recently, during the 4th of July weekend, there was a, we had a, we had a big boom, and there was a kid for a firecracker. And I went outside thinking that the kids had done something to our water main because it started leaking. And I asked the kids, you know, hey, did y'all, you guys put a firecracker in? And the kids were like, adamantly, no, 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 no. And, and immediately I thought, probably did put it in there and when I opened it up and I looked I said you know I apologize to guys you know that was my fault I said I shouldn't have come out here excuse you guys didn't think anything of it well fast forward now yesterday I'm on my new campus walking around and there's a kid who stopped me and he's like hey excuse me can you tell me what the front office is and it's this kid and he tells his mom mom this is the guy that lives by the park he, he, he lives by the park he lives in our neighborhood and if I had been rude to him, or I would not apologize to him and his friends for, you know, being, you know, judging them without, you know, having all the evidence, that situation could have been totally different. Right. You know, kicking his mom there. So I think that, that that's very good. That people don't ever take, you know, the hate. We all make them. And I think when we admit to them, we give the students the freedom to make mistakes. Because mistakes are part of life. We're going to make them. It's inevitable. So I think when, te when students and teachers make a mistake, we take ourselves out of that position of we're perfect and we become human to them. And then we can connect with them and reach them so much greater. I agree. So what is one thing all students should be taught? Um... I'm going to say just with the state of affairs in our country right now, compassion. Well, I think just 
being able to have compassion for others, just for life in general, you know, living things, and to just lead by example and always think about, like, you know, would this be, like, if they were in a situation where, like, they saw someone being bullied or um, the recipient of a racial slur, you know, thinking about would this would this be acceptable if that was against someone I love versus me or whatever? And just kind of taking that and um, rolling with it because I just right now there seems to be a lot of hate brewing. And I've, I've always been cognizant to like, it, I know social media is a big thing right now and it seems like there's a lot going on, but I've just, you know, being a person of color, Hispanic, black, I've always been a recipient of, um, unfortunately, like discrimination and racism and from, from other people and then also bullying in high school. And I just think if people were a little bit more compassionate, then we wouldn't have some of the things that we have going on today. Mm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, 100%. And that was part of a conversation that Kyle and I were having just yesterday about compassion. Um, I think it's important that I think a lot of teachers struggle with teaching compassion. Because it's not a written curriculum. You know what I mean? Like, there's no... How do you teach compassion? You know, and in my mind, I think it's just, you model it, dear student. Yeah, and I... You know, it's moving away from feeling sorry for students for doing something, uh, or for being a certain way, or for, you know, that student, and you're moving into taking empathy a step further to say, you know what? Not only do I understand where you're coming from, I can put myself in your shoes, but now I want to be a part of helping you change the situation. Yeah. I think that's the big difference that we, that we're, we, we, in education, we should. We have the best audience, I mean, the best platform to do it from. You're right. I agree with that. I think through, as you mentioned, I try to lead through just like the hidden curriculum, like by my everyday actions, the way that I dress, the way that I respond to students, interact with them. And it's just like that subtle way of interacting with them that they can see. And I'm not directly saying it, but if they see, you know, when I'm out my door greeting them as they walk into the classroom, smiling all the time, that's just part of who I am, um, joking with them and just treating them with kindness. Hopefully they can pick up on that. And that's how they would like, number one, to be treated, but then also to go about treating other people in the same manner. Yeah, and I and mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, what you're saying, too, with compassion and, you know, you mentioned, you know, growing up Hispanic and being bullied and all those things. I mean, for me, especially the, this last year, it's it's a not just compassion, but I think you have to have, like, some degree of humility or actually, like, a full degree of humility to be able to do it because Wilkie and I have been having this conversation, like, I grew up as a very privileged white male and now it's now I'm just learning in my early thirties, you know, what, what the world is really like and those experiences and how to, how to, you know, I, I felt like a long time I was showing compassion, but I can see in my past the ways that I didn't and the ways I could have done it better. So, um, I, I love what you're saying about that, but to, I mean, I think there's, especially for people like me and, and Wilkie and I've had this conversation. I, it seems like every day for the past couple of weeks of, you know, what is, what is my job as a white male to, to show compassion and, and that. So I really love that you said that. I, th- I think that's an important thing for kids for sure. Thank you. So kind of along those same lines we were just talking about, what is your take of the state of education today? education today. I think that's a very lot. There's so many different things that make it up, um, you know, from, you know, equity in education and the conversation that's, you know, starting to happen around access to, you know, materials or the quality of education for students of color or students that are LGBT, um, students that uh, are English language learners to instructional materials there's, you know, testing. The one thing that I guess I will say is that I wish from a political stance that there were more people that had backgrounds in education 
that we're serving in our government to make the decisions that are being made because many people who are sitting you know, in Congress right now don't have that experience. And so a lot of the policies and the rules that are being made um, are, I feel, are made sometimes without like a, a real understanding of the world of education, what it's like to be a teacher, you know, the struggle of being on the ground, you know, with the students working with them day in and day out. And so it's frustrating when a lot of these policies are made and the voice, the voices of teachers aren't sometimes considered, if at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can't, can't argue with that. I remember, you know, when I was in Texas and teaching seventh grade history and I, I met a guy who was a, a Texas history professor at uh, Texas State and he told me he was consulted to write the new curriculum for the seventh grade Texas standards for history. And he said of the like nine people on the committee that were going to approve the standards, only one of them had an educational background. And it's, and it's situations like that, that, you know, like you said, that there are people um, up there that don't have an education background or, or are maybe so far removed from the classroom that they don't really understand what's going on in it. I love, um, Will, what was the analogy that your principal used describing our kids? I thought it was really good. Oh, the Wi-Fi. We have Wi-Fi kids for teaching them with landline strategy. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was super good and and very relevant to how we describe, you know, the way kids are. You know, and and. But I don't think any other industry who has people who are lobbying for them or making decisions for them who are not industry leaders within that industry. It's not a good I mean, all the people that I know that are in oil and gas, they come from oil and gas, agriculture, geology, background. So these are people who are pushing that. And if you're from a business background, if you're starting a business or you're putting together a board, you're going to get other business people. In education, it's almost as I mean, you can see, you have people on local school boards who have never been in a classroom, who have never taught a day in a classroom. And I think that that does an injustice to our students because now those decisions are being made by people who, who are not even relevant to the conversation. Totally agree. So, mm. Yeah, yeah, right on. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, James, to kind of get in the meat of, of what we really wanted to talk to you about. Um, you were very, you've been very open the last you know few months, especially on your YouTube channel, about um, your anxiety and, and depression. So to kind of get it started, could you describe just what it was like, um, you know, say in your middle school, high school, and college years, um, growing up with and dealing with that depression and, and anxiety? So. I don't, you know, as a child growing up, I was always quiet, but I had these tendencies to be very comical and, you know, to act out, especially around people that I was very comfortable with, family, friends. And then once middle school came around, like I did this 180, where um, even though I'd been quiet before, like I became like super quiet. And, you know, I had friends, but there was always this underlying fear that just came out of nowhere and I didn't know why I was sometimes sitting in my chair trembling like it was freezing outside but I literally be shaking and I can feel all my muscles you know in my body contracting it just continued to go on and I didn't know why and I didn't have like an actual name for it back then like I didn't realize that I was suffering from anxiety and depression and so this led to me unfortunately in times just freezing in place so as I would be out shopping or at the store I would freeze and I just and I knew like in my head that like hey you know, James move go to another aisle and I, I literally could not move it was like I was frozen in just this panic set in and I would stay there sometimes five ten or even maybe more minutes and this also translated to school because when people were rude to me or they would hit me like I would just automatically freeze and I wouldn't have a response or I wouldn't defend myself 
And so this just became this thing where like the bullying occurred more so in high school. Um, luckily enough, I had always been athletic, like I played sports when I was younger, so I joined the swim team, which is something that I excelled at. But I think it was also something I joined because it was a way for me to be seen as a athletic. I played other sports, but swimming was the one that I did all four years and was something that I excelled at. But even then, it, like, I didn't know how to advocate for myself and speak up when things were happening to me. And so from middle school and high school, I know that definitely affected me in the classroom because I wouldn't, if there was something I was confused about, I wouldn't raise my hand, I wouldn't ask for help. And so that would cause me to fall behind. And unfortunately, there were some teachers that I had that never really checked up on me, so I would fall even further behind. And while I did okay in high school, I had to work really, really hard at getting the grades that I got and, you know, reading things over and over and over again and being frustrated because, you know, I thought like, oh my God, I'm stupid. And I, how come I can't get this right away? College wise, um, I used excuses to, I went out every now and then, but like I would always get invited places and I would make up excuses as to, oh, I have to, you know, study for class. I have to do this. When in reality, I didn't really need to study because I was doing well. And, or I didn't have a test coming up, I could have gone out. But there was always this fear of, if I go out, something's gonna happen. Uh, and there was always this thought, or at least at that time, of death happening around me. So not like me harming myself, but if I were to get in a car, oh my God, we're going to crash. Or if I get on a plane, something's gonna happen. And it was just always this thought of death, people dying around me, whether it was people that, um, I knew family and friends, or people that I didn't know, and it just made me live in this constant fear where when I started teaching, I I would only go to work, and I would go to the store every now and then, but pretty much I became this recluse. Like, I would just stay in my house, and I wouldn't leave, and there would be times where I wasn't deliberately starving myself, but because I had this fear of going out and freezing in public, I would just stay and try to eat as much as I can and like scrap you know, all the scraps that I have like in you know my pantry until like it got like really worse like oh you know I'm eating ramen noodles every single day and you know I'm not getting any nutrition from this and so it definitely had an impact on me you know middle school high school just friends that I made and then it unfortunately followed me into college life and then um my professional life right after I graduated from the University of Texas. So, so based on that, do you, do you feel like you have a good, um, I guess, sort of, do, do you see, do you recognize it in students and, and does it help you relate to kids who are maybe going through those same things? I definitely see it now. Um, after I, you know, sought help from my, when I finally admitted to myself, like, hey, you're suffering from anxiety and depression and got help. And then a couple of years later, started really paying attention, you know, reading up on anxiety and depression myself to understand not only my symptoms, but perhaps what other people who were experiencing those same um disorders were also experiencing. So there are some students who are like right away I can tell and then there are other students I will watch and you know I don't I don't ever like ask them like are you suffering from anxiety depression? Like I try to speak with them and maybe perhaps they'll talk to me or they will go talk to a counselor and at some point I find out later on. But I do think it has given me sort of an edge to kind of pay attention to students. I'm more cognizant of like all my students. I try to be a student of my students, see their small quirks. And, you know, depression doesn't look like someone being sad all the time. Like for me, I just felt empty. There are people who, you know, have been depressed and they seem happy all the time, but, you know, they're really suffering from a deep depression. So it's just one of those things where I feel like I always have to be on top of making sure that I interact with all my students every single day, that I talk to them, that I pick up on maybe like any subtle changes each day. Um, and just, again, I think the important thing is just touching base with them, which is something that I continually strive to do. Because 
sometimes in high school it's very hard to do that when you have, you know, you're teaching at least here in my district. We, I teach six periods, and so I can have anywhere up to 125, 140 students. And so trying to touch base with every single one of my students to ensure that I'm paying close attention to them to see if they are exhibiting any of those signs and what I can do to support them uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, and and you you talked a little bit about how it how it followed you into your professional life. What was what was that like starting out? So professionally, with anxiety and depression, things that I was more aware of at that point, and early in my career, I was really disorganized. What new teacher probably isn't. And so things were everywhere, and I just always, I was always on edge with students. So, and then when like the noise level got really loud, and because I'm also just very sensitive to loud noises, so that would just throw me off, and I would be mentally exhausted by the end of the day, and the mental exhaustion would then lead to physical exhaustion. And so that led to me becoming a little bit more controlling with just my overall classroom environment, so me being organized. Um, that's one of the things that I've known for. I've been known for like all the, all the schools that I've taught as my organization. The students right away, like they notice it, oh, you know, Mr. Lyash, you're very organized. But I wasn't organized because that was just something that I that naturally came to me. The organization came from the anxiety. Like if I couldn't find things or things were you know, everywhere, like it started to make me lose control. Like I could feel, you know, it building up during the, the class period. And then also the sense of control with the students. So like, you're going to sit at this table and I have this procedure for how the class is going to flow. Um, I know like general classroom management things, but like I was very strict with certain things throughout, or at least early on in my career when the anxiety was high. And so I think early on that's, that's, I would say, the control and the organization developed from the anxiety. And then the depression was, you know, in and out. There were times where I was very high energy, I was smiling a lot, and there were other times where, to be honest, I didn't want to be at school, not because I didn't like teaching, it's just I'd rather been, have been a bit sleeping because I was also tired a lot. And I just, no matter what I did, I, I exercise all the time, but no matter what I did, no, no matter how much sleep I got, I just was always fatigued. And that also, you know, crept up into the classroom because instead of, you know, giving 100% to my students, I was giving them 75%, 50%, and sometimes, unfortunately, maybe even 25%, which wasn't fair to my students. And so I think once I realized, hey, there's something going on i need to go talk to somebody i finally made you know got a little bit of courage because early on i even with my anxiety i had trouble just even picking up the phone and calling i would have anxiety attacks and so finally i pushed myself to make the call because i realized that there was a greater purpose and that was the students and if i didn't if i wasn't taking care of myself then i couldn't give students the best education that i was trying to give them or at least that i thought i could give them Right. Right. And, you know, when did you, I guess, when did you start to open, did you, or did you open up then to colleagues about it or did you, did you keep it private? No, at that point, early on, it was, it was private. Like, I went and um, saw help. I didn't even let, like, my family members know. It just, I went and sought help and, you know, was immediately put on medication for, uh, the anxiety but other than that like I kept it to myself and I only did the medication for I want to say five six months and then I stopped it because at that point from a social um, socially I began you know going out more like have the small group of friends that I had that I had made within that small amount of time that weren't you know even teachers and so I was like okay I, I'm, I feel like I'm good so I'm going to stop medication I'm you know I'm cured um, little did I know that it's it's a process, and so I just stopped, you know, medication and thinking that I was okay, but I I, I really wasn't at that point. So then how? Or, sorry, we'll go ahead. No, you go. 
Oh, I, I was just going to say, so then, you know, what, what steps did you take then? I know you said later down the road, you, you continue to, to try to work on it and battle it. So what steps have you taken since then? So after I stopped the medication and I should say that, like, I didn't even talk with my doctor or my primary care physician about it. I just stopped because I felt again at the time that, Hey, I don't feel as anxious anymore. I don't need the medication. And for a while that, you know, I didn't need help because I felt the anxiety. It was still there, but I felt at that point I had this network of people that were supportive of me and I could just deal with it on my own. But I still had manifestations of, you know, trembling suddenly for no reason. Um, As I was about to leave every day for work, I started getting anxious about leaving or even if it was on a day off or on the weekend, if I needed to go do something, I would start procrastinating because that was my way of not really having to leave. I would just say, oh, I need to just do something here. I'll go in 10 minutes. 10 minutes would come and I wouldn't go. I'll do it in maybe 30 minutes. 30 minutes would come and I wouldn't go. And so just a lot of time was wasted. So I noticed that started to build back up. Um, I One of the things that I did start to do was kind of like – internally inside my head like talk to myself okay james like get over it just go you know do it it's not the end of the world and just having this little like battle within my head which i didn't really have early on you know whenever i was experiencing an episode i just allowed it to continue and um whereas now like i will and it's not so it's not as strong now compared to earlier on in my career and in my life but I do catch myself every now and then where I need to go run an errand and I start procrastinating. I'm like, James, you need to go. And I start like putting my clothes on and I'll push myself to go. As far as the depression, um, I felt, I knew in the back of my head that I was still depressed, but I, I was just playing it off that maybe that's not what it was. And for the last several years, like I kept saying, okay, I need to go see somebody. I need to go see somebody. And I wouldn't go see anybody. And then it just slowly started to creep back up. I left the classroom about seven years ago to go into leadership opportunities. And that's when I really noticed that my anxiety and my depression started to come back up more because I was in situations that put me, while I enjoyed those roles, there were a lot of situations that put me in, um, in an area where like, anxiety was through the roof and I was again I was starting to feel tired all the time no matter how much sleep I got and I was just trying all these different strategies um, working out going to bed early trying to be more organized trying to be prepared and none of that was helping anymore I mean so then I made the decision recently to go back to go see a mental health expert versus just my primary care physician and I felt that that was probably the best decision for me at that time. Right. Right. And and how have things been going since you have been seeing that that professional? Uh, they're going well. Uh, I wouldn't say you know like medication and all of that is this magic bullet. There are definitely things that I'm learning about myself and strategies that I'm trying to utilize beyond school it's funny because I'm here at school like, I'm very organized and that's because of the anxiety the anxiety piece but at home like I'm totally 180 because I'm and relaxed and I'm at home <laughs> so there is some disorganization there um, but I would say you know it's still a work in progress I have a lot better days where I don't feel the emptiness and I can easily even though the anxiety like the butterflies in my stomach the tense um, in my testness in my neck start coming up when I'm about to leave. I find myself just walking out the door and then it goes away immediately. So it's just these small things that I'm learning how to to incorporate in my, my daily life. And I think also one of the things that has just been powerful for me is the fact that I realized that I to miss a lot of opportunities. And so I don't want to be in position in a position where I'm missing opportunities at this point in my life because of the anxiety and the depression. So I might be in situations where I feel anxious, but at least I know that I 
you know, went and I took the opportunity up and I didn't pass on it. Whereas in the past, I would just pass up on all these opportunities to do things. And now I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I would have really done that. Right. So if, you know, if, you know, teachers are listening to this and, and they're going through, you know, some of the same things that you're going through, you know, what, what piece of pieces of advice would you give them, you know, to try to, to better their situation? For me, I, I made the decision to go talk to a mental health specialist and when the possibility of going on medication came up, I made the decision to to take the medication. Now, it's not something that I want to do continually, so I'm trying to learn these different strategies to get myself in a place so that way I can wean myself off the medication because I don't want to become reliant on it. I know medication doesn't work for all people, and then sometimes just just depending on you know your body chemistry, type the doses of medication varies. I would just say, you know, when I had made that YouTube video, I had um, encouraged people who feel that they might be suffering from anxiety or depression to go either see a therapist, a counselor, or a mental health expert. Don't necessarily need to go on medication if that's something that is not what an individual wants to do, but talking to somebody about, you know, the symptoms that they're experiencing, because that has been very helpful for me, just to, to finally have someone to talk about what I'm going through and to give me some strategies and just to touch in with, uh, you know, on a couple months basis about like how I'm doing. Whereas before I didn't have that support, I wasn't talking, like I said earlier, to family or friends or colleagues about what I was going through. And um, just again, being able to talk about it and reading up on anxiety, depression, what that means. Because again, I, I, my anxiety and depression may be different from somebody else that's experiencing it. And things that set me off might be different from, you know, things that set another person off. So being able just to confide in somebody and, and again, if medication is an option for a particular individual, then, you know, take it. But eventually I would say try not to be reliant on that because that's, that's my ultimate goal is to have strategies in place so that way I'm not continually taking medication for this, for the issue. Right, right. So shortly, shortly after you, you did the anxiety um, and depression YouTube video, you, you said on your YouTube channel as well that you are suffering from ADD or, yes. or that. So could you kind of explain, you know, what that's been like? Because I, I have suffered from that too. And I didn't, I didn't really get diagnosed with it until I was teaching in Houston. So I'm interested to kind of hear how, how that impacted you and kind of compare that to how it impacted me. Yeah, so I always had a feeling that I may have been attention deficit. I had that attention deficit disorder. But again, like with my anxiety, depression, I never went in. And even the first time when I went to go see someone for anxiety, depression, I didn't mention any of the symptoms that I had that are associated with ADD or ADHD because there was this fear, this anxiety that, oh, there's something else wrong with me. Or if I wasn't diagnosed with that, then there's something wrong with me. And so when I went in a couple months ago for the anxiety and depression, I made sure to ask to be screened for ADHD. And so I was only recently diagnosed with it within the past four or five months and so I started to gain a better understanding of what that means for me and also taking steps because it was creeping up into not just my personal life it was creeping up into my professional life the things I was doing I talked about this in the video like I'd be teaching and I was saying things but then I was writing something different and the kids were looking at me or I kept making mistakes and you know at first it was funny but then, like, it was happening all the time. And I started from from a professional standpoint, I started to feel, like, very unprofessional. Like, the students are looking at me as the expert, and I'm making mistakes all the time for things that I know that I'm very capable of doing correctly to just 
things that I was putting around here in the classroom or telling students things I just couldn't remember. And it was getting progressively worse. And I noticed it started happening more so when I went into leadership roles. And then within the past year or two, it just began to manifest beyond what I felt was controllable for me. And so after getting the diagnosis and talking to my mental health specialists about about it, and he gave me some tips for what I could do in terms of like professionally and then also personally. So that way I wasn't overwhelmed with just some of the you know, manifestations that I was experiencing with just forgetting things or being impulsive. And um, also the quiet, because I was classified as ADHD uh, effective, which is basically a quiet type. So there are students, perhaps like myself, when I was in school that was very quiet and I was also very compliant. So That's interesting to me because when I was first diagnosed and started taking medication, for me it was I I it helped me do a lot of the menial tasks that are associated with being a teacher, like sitting down and grading tests and doing those things. Um, it, it doesn't hold my attention, and oftentimes I would get so backed up with grading that I you know it it was just not a good situation, and and I. I took it for probably three or four years and then I just kind of got to the point where like you said I I learned strategies and I figured out ways to where I could work around it and I and I knew what I was doing and and I slowly kind of took myself off of it because I felt like too much I was like well if I need to take my medication it only lasts for this amount of time during the day and I have to and and I was almost planning around it and I and I didn't feel like that was a good way to live and I also, too, really just got zoned in on, you know, why I was doing the things I was doing and, and why I need to be doing them, and, it, and it's helped. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm thankful for how it helped me at the time, but I'm also thankful that I, that I learned to kind of cope with it on my own. Yeah, I'm definitely learning you know, strategies, for example. I, I can't go home and try to get work done because it won't work out like I need to go to like either Starbucks or a library for a couple hours or if I really want to get grading done or planning or whatever it might be I need to get away because that won't happen um, I try not to do it here at the school because then I would be up here forever I do get a lot done while I'm here but at the same time it's if I start if I stay here then I start hyper focusing on things which is another component my ADD, so then I start, oh, let me start doing this other, you know, setting up a lab or all these other tasks, which I just need to get out and and separate from, you know, work and then sometimes home to get things that I want done. Right. Right. And, and in your video, um, I don't recall which one, you talked about how leadership opportunities have helped you with your anxiety and depression and ADD. Um, so could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so the leadership opportunities that I had, so I was a district level science instructional specialist, and then I went into administrative as an assistant principal, actually at the current school that I'm at right now. And I went into those roles because I was always, as I mentioned earlier, I was a quiet person and I just hated being that person that just sat at the group, didn't really say anything, and I felt I had ideas to contribute. And so there were people, other teachers that I've, I've worked with at one point, who I guess saw leadership potential in me, and they encouraged me to take on, you know, bit by bit, being a PLC lead, professional learning community um, lead for chemistry, and then it went to, we had at one of the schools I was at, we had like these academies within a school, so I was one of our first um, small learning community coordinators, and then I went to the district level, which is something that I eventually had wanted to do, 
And that just put me in situations where I had to interact with different people. I was driving all over Austin to all the high schools to do professional development for teachers, for administrators, um, for whoever at the time. And again, that just put me in situations where I had to, you know, get out there and face individuals and get up there and talk. Same thing with an assistant principal. I had to, you know, manage teachers, deal with parents, students, and individuals from the community. So definitely helped me in that, in those regards. But also at the same time, it also caused my anxiety to go up as well because it always felt, you know, teachers joke like this, the Sunday before school, they get anxious or they get nervous or it's all the planning. Like every single day felt like a Sunday for me. Like I was always getting ready. I was always anxious because of a pre- once presentation started, then I was, you know, I was good to go. That's, I felt that's where I shined, but always leading up to a presentation or getting ready for whatever it may have been. I was always very anxious about it. Like, are they, is this going to be well received? Are they going to hate it? Am I going to mess up? You know, all these what if thoughts going through my head. And so I was always 24 7 again. And I think that's, and I mentioned in, in one of those videos that I noticed that my anxiety and the depression started to creep back up and manifest in different ways once I moved to the district level and had a, a greater responsibility where I was interacting with not just children anymore it was a whole bunch of different stakeholders where i realized that oh this is i'm enjoying it but at the same time it's making my anxiety just you know it's just never ending cycle with anxiety and depression and so there were some uh, pluses to that but then there were also some minuses as well right right so what uh, what made you choose to go back to the classroom then when I left the classroom, it wasn't something that I had planned to do right at that moment. A lot of times when I talk to people who are, have either left or they're thinking about leaving, they usually will say, I think it's my time. You know, I think I want to go into administration or they want to try something else or they're just done with teaching. And I had just started my master's program because my goal was to get a master's degree so that way I can do instructional coaching or be an instructional specialist at the district level. And it just so happened that a position opened up in my district for instructional specialists. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to apply even though it says master's degree required. I'm just going to see. And I wasn't expecting to get called in for an interview. And I got called in. And I was driving on my way to class. And I got the call. Hey, you know, for uh, uh, I got the call for employment. And without really taking time to reflect on it, I just said yes because I was so excited. As I said, I didn't think I was going to get the position. And while I enjoyed that role, every time I went back into the classroom, one of the great things about that position was I got the job of the high school going through the classrooms. As I saw all these great ideas, not just from science teachers, but English teachers, social studies, you name it. And I just kept thinking about like, wow, this is, you know, if I were still in the classroom, this is what I would do. And then I also realized that there were all these resources at the district level that I had no idea existed when I was in the classroom. And I'm like, where were these things at when I was teaching? I could have certainly used these things. But I also come across teacher made teachers and saw this great, all the great resources. And then, you know, the technology was changing. And every time I went to a classroom, just the thought of, wow, this is like what, just imagine if I went to classroom, this is what I could do moved into assistant principal, so not at this point I was at a campus, and the same thoughts were there. And long story short, I was trying, in both positions, I had tried to get a role where I was able to teach a class and then still be in those positions. Um, the instructional specialist position didn't work out because our superintendent left and there was a switch in um, leadership. And originally my idea had got approved, but then it just kind of fell to the cracks. And then as an administrator, there just wasn't funding to have an administrator slash part-time teacher because I felt that that would have been important for, you know, to lead here. I'm a leader at school, but I'm still in the classroom and I can, you know, speak to that as an administrator and perhaps also be a voice for the teachers. But again, funding didn't allow that. So when a position opened up here at a school, a teacher just did a lateral switch. She moved into a business position here. 
And I just told my principal, you know, I think I've been thinking about this for a while, and I think I want to go back into the classroom. And, um, he approved it, and so I just I didn't have to interview or anything like that. I got the position, and um, and I been back for the past two years now, and I haven't regretted it. Awesome. You know, it's interesting because I'm also, I've been out of the classroom for the past three years, and this is my first year back. Um, I was kind of in the same situation where I took a position, I had just gotten my master's. Well, I was actually, I was in the course of getting my master's, and I took an instructional specialist position. And as I was going in and out of the classroom and co-teaching and team teaching and pulling small groups, I, I missed it. It was authentic, the fact that this is my calling is to be in the classroom. And I can say it was, people would ask me, oh, how was your day? And my days were better when I was in the classroom with them. So I decided this year, you know, when there was a position available at the new campus, I was like, hey, if you get a great position, I'll gladly take a step down and, and go over there and work and actually be a teacher leader. And I think too often great teachers feel like the only only way to get the compensation for the work you're doing as a leader on a campus is to become an administrator. I don't think there's enough rewards in it for teacher leaders who are truly authentically leaders within the classroom that other teachers depend on. And that's my role right now, and I'm, I'm happy with it 100%. You know, so I understand what you're going through with that. Yeah, it's definitely been uh, one of the best decisions I made. While I, you know, still think about being in a leadership position in terms of like administration or instructional specialist, like you said, I still am considered a teacher leader here on my campus. So, you know, I still participate in committees or I, you know, speak up and try to provide that instructional leadership using my frame of reference from my previous positions to help guide the conversation around mm-hmm. student learning and supporting students in the classroom. And so, yeah, I definitely am always trying to push other teachers to, you know, step up and take a, a leadership position. And again, as you said, it doesn't have to be an administration uh, role or an instructional specialist role. You, know, you can just be a teacher and speak up and you know, advocate for students and other teachers. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, why don't you? Uh, we're we're running kind of long here on time. We're we're approaching the hour mark. So why don't you just kind of go into the wrap up questions, and we'll be respectful of James's time today. Okay. Um. So we're gonna go ahead and just go ahead and fast forward. So tell me, what is the best advice you were ever given, and who gave it to you? The best advice I was ever given actually was by a teacher, professor, while I was at UP, and I was actually dropping class even though I was doing well like a low A but my anxiety was again setting in and so that was one of the things that also affected me and so I went to to her to add and I can't remember her name but I went to her with my Q-drop form explaining that I wanted to drop the class and she was trying to get me you know to stay and to change my mind and I was like I'm never going to like it was a microbiology class but there were components of inorganic chemistry and I just told her, like, I hate chemistry. I'm never going to like chemistry. And she told me, never say, she never say never. <laughs> and funny enough, I became a chemistry teacher and I enjoyed teaching chemistry. And so I try to always, you know, when I sometimes when those negative thoughts come into my head or if I hear myself saying never or I hear my students say never, I will always try to, like, reflect on that experience and have that internal conversation with myself, but then also have that conversation with students about, you know, saying the word never and trying to have a growth mindset. They, it might be something that they struggle to achieve, but if they just give up right away, they may not at some point ever realize the potential they had um, if they just gave up. So I try not to say the word never. Awesome. Good advice. So, what advice would you offer to a teacher who is struggling? Um, I guess this question depends because teachers struggle in a variety of ways. But I would say, you know, whether it's classroom management, there are teachers who are very organized, but they struggle in classroom management, or vice versa. But I would say taking care 
of yourself and whatever that means to the individual because teaching is just one of these mentally demanding profession and it's very easily one can get into becoming depressed or feeling sad about um, professionally how they're and it's just one of these things where if the teacher isn't taking care of themselves mentally by you know exercising or reading or taking some time off or whatever that might be then it's going to translate and it's going to creep into the classroom and that definitely happened for me because i wasn't taking care while i was struggling in different components there were things that i was doing um outside of school in terms of taking care of myself that eventually came up even though i felt that i was doing a good job of hiding it i wasn't hiding it and students pick up on things and so they were picking up on the fact that I wasn't smiling as often they're like hey you don't smile as much anymore and so that's one of the things I would give to any teacher whether new or veteran is to take care of yourself find things that make you happy whether it's talking to other people exercising you name it and always ask for help so if you're struggling don't try to just take it on yourself ask a colleague find um, a, a teacher leader, um, a mentor to, to help you out, come into your class and observe you. If it's something instructionally that uh, a teacher feels that they're struggling in. But again, taking care of themselves and, and also advocating for help is what I would recommend. Awesome. So in the last 12 months, what was your best read? I'm going to say That's even though this is not, I guess it could be educational. I'm a follower of Gary Vaynerchuk, and so I liked his book, Crushing Kid. And, you know, I do teach a paid teacher, so one of the reasons I, I'm, I got into him in the first place was because of the whole entrepreneur piece. But I feel that there are components that I could still even apply to my personal and even professional life as a teacher in terms of, you know, the complaining, which I don't do often, but when I find myself getting into that mode, then I quickly snap myself out of it. And so I think there are a lot of applications, you know, in the book that one could take and apply to even their classroom or their personal lives. And so I know it's definitely made an impact on me um, personally. And so I try to um, make sure that I'm crushing it in the classroom. Yeah, you don't. I mean, you, you're we're we're right there with you. I I just finished crushing it a couple weeks ago, and and like I said, it's it, like his principles are if if you're listening they're applicable anywhere across any job absolutely so before we ask this last question i just want to thank you again for taking the time out i know a lot of times it's difficult for teachers to talk about things that we struggle with internally and i think it's important for teachers to to have those conversations so that it can free someone else up to, to, to feel that, you know, it's okay to, to admit that you're struggling in an area. It's okay to admit, I know myself, my wife helped me see that I struggled from depression. Um, and I think it was when I was in college. Um, and she was like, you know, you're, you're, you're spiraling. I, you, you know, you don't see the behavior that you do. And I think even now when she talks to me and, and she sees me in those modes, she she knows because we you know we've been friends for over 25 years she knows when i'm getting in that place and she knows what to do to snap me out of you know so um i think it's really important that teachers just know themselves so again we thank you for opening up to our listeners and being transparent about the struggles and how you overcame those and are still overcoming and we want to thank you for being here today with that um and the last question we want to ask is, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? I think, as I mentioned earlier, that you know, as teachers, we have you know the potential to positively and negatively impact students. And I just want my students to know that even though sometimes it gets hard, and I might even personally be struggling, whether it's my anxiety, depression, that I never gave up. And... I always continue to grow and develop, so I would say that I have a growth mindset. And I've always, even as a teacher, I've taken classes because I'm continually learning. I also learn from my students, and I am willing to admit when I make mistakes. 
so from my students, I want them to know that they had a teacher that was always there for them. They may not remember anything from chemistry 20 years down the line, but I just through my everyday actions as a human being, the way that I treated them and greeted them when they came into class and interacted with them in class was in a very warm, positive, friendly um, you know, way. And that at the same time, like I was very open about you know, my mistakes and my errors, and hopefully they can take that away from me and my classroom and also, you know, be able to share show, share that with other people later on in their own lives. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we thank you. Thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Um, for taking time out, I know when you're getting back in the swing of things, it's kind of hard to take their time, but we appreciate you for taking the time out and uh, speaking with our listeners today. Oh, thank you.